Well, we are continuing our message series that we've called Habits, which is all about developing the spiritual disciplines in our faith. And I want to tell you, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount talks about some of these habits, especially about prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, we see that Jesus begins to teach on prayer. And many of us are familiar with that passage because out of that comes the Lord's Prayer. The most repeated prayer in the world's history is found in Jesus' teaching on prayer. But do you know what comes after that? Something as equally as important as prayer is, yet we don't talk a lot about it. In fact, I can't think of a time where I sat through a message on this topic. And yet it's one of those disciplines that if we cultivate and apply to our lives on a regular basis, it can do some incredible things for our spiritual journey. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Now here's the interesting thing about this passage. Two times in three verses, Jesus says, when you fast. So Jesus is expecting us to be fasting as a part of our spiritual journey, as a part of developing good spiritual habits to make us more like Jesus. But I'll be honest, when I read that you should fast, I look at my own spiritual journey, and I don't fast as much as I should. And that's really humbling to say as a pastor, but that's just the reality of my walk with Christ. I pray, I read the Bible, I come to church, I give, I confess. But when it comes to literally fasting, I don't do it as much. Would you say that you do it in your spiritual journey? Is it a part of your regular practice when it comes to following Christ? Some of you would say, yes, you do, and I hope today is just an encouragement to you to continue on that journey, hoping you learned something this morning. But for those of you who are like me and say, when you fast, I don't really fast that much. I want to tell you, it's one of the most important things you and I can do. And let me try to tell you this way. The Bible talks about baptism 75 times. The Bible talks about fasting 76 times. Now, that doesn't mean that fasting is more important than baptism, but baptism, we talk about, we celebrate it twice a year, but we don't talk about fasting. Why not? And what would happen if we apply that to our lives? I'm telling you, this fasting thing is a game changer. It's a supercharger, so to speak, for our faith. And I want us to look at that through the lens of Jesus today. Because Jesus doesn't just teach on it, he lives it out. And one of the most incredible scenes, I believe, that the Gospels record about Jesus' life. So here's what happens. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and for 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So then Satan tries again. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't ever hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, well, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. So then Satan tries one more time. Next, the devil took him to, to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Finally, Jesus has had enough. He says, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Lots to learn from Jesus in his example on fasting. Lots to learn from his teaching on fasting. But before we go into why we should fast, can I try to convince you why you and I should not fast? And you're probably saying, are you playing a trick on me? No, I'm not. In fact, I want to give you two reasons why if we're fasting in such a way that Jesus tells us not to fast, you and I should stop. Because there's some of us in here that are fasting for the wrong reasons and it's actually doing damage to our relationship with God, not enhancing it, which is why fasting should be a part of who we are in Christ. So I wanted to convince you two different times to stop fasting. The first is this. I want us to stop fasting if we're doing it to earn God's approval. If you are here and you're fasting and you're doing it to earn brownie points with God so he will love you, can you please stop? You don't have to do it that way. I remember, like it was yesterday, four very, very sacred moments in my life. The four times that my babies were born. Oh, just incredible. If you have a child or a grandchild or you're an uncle or an aunt or a special friend and you hold that baby for the first time, there's something unbelievable that happens, right? I'll never forget holding my babies and had them in my hands and I remember looking down at them and I essentially said the same thing to them. I can't wait to see you grow up. <laughs> because if you do something good with your life, then maybe your dad will love you. <laughs> oh, you guys never said that? Of course you didn't. Of course I didn't. That'd be really bad. When I looked at my child for the first time, I didn't say, well, if you do good with your life, I will love you. And if you do bad, well, sorry, dad's not going to love you. No. When you're holding that baby for the first time and you're looking down at this miracle in your hands, you're thinking, holy smokes, I hope you turn out well. But even if you don't, I am going to love you forever. Now, there's sometimes when it comes to our kids, we don't like them sometimes because they frustrate us. But does that ever change the love that we have for a child? Then why in the world do we believe that happens with God and us? Why is it that if God is holding us, so to speak, we believe we can elicit love from him or we may lose his love based upon what we do or don't do for him? Some of us don't consciously think that, but unconsciously we live an insecure relationship with God because we feel like we're just disappointing him all the time. Or we puff ourselves up because we think we're just these awesome Christians that God's impressed with. But neither is correct. 
And I know this because of what happens with Jesus. Going back to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1, here's what happens. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became hungry. This word then is a key word here. Because then is telling us it's carrying over from the previous section of Scripture, which is Matthew chapter 3, which at the end of Matthew chapter 3 is Jesus' baptism. Now, Jesus' baptism is an incredible scene in the Bible for many reasons, but the reason that I love it is it's because it happens right before Jesus goes out into public ministry. So baptism and then Jesus' temptation happen right before he goes and does the thing that we see throughout the Gospels. But here's the thing. Jesus hasn't done anything, which means he hasn't healed, he hasn't performed miracles, he hasn't taught incredible life-changing sermons, he hasn't died and hasn't risen again yet, he just has been existing for 30 years. And at Jesus' baptism, he is coming out of the water, and the Father looks at him and says, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. A declaration of unconditional love from the father to the son. And again, Jesus does, or the father doesn't say about Jesus, I will be pleased with you when you heal people, when you die on the cross, when you resurrect someday. Of course not. He says, you are my son, and I am your father, and because of this relationship that we have, I will love you no matter what you do or don't do. And friends, you know what's incredible about that? When we trust in Jesus, the very first time we trust in Jesus, that declaration that's been declared upon Jesus from the Father is the same declaration that we get from the Father. That right when we say yes to Jesus, the Father says, this is my son, this is my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. Before you utter a prayer, before you read scripture, before you go to church, before you fast, the Father is pleased with you because you are his. Not for what you can do for him. Which changes everything when it comes to our life with Christ. We don't pray or read the Bible or come to church or fast to hope that God will love us. We do those things to reciprocate our love back to him. All of those things are gifts God gives us so we can give back to God. And so when Jesus is about to fast for 40 days, he doesn't do it so God will be impressed with him. He does it because God is already impressed with him. And now he gets to live a life of security with God. And he fasts to reciprocate that love back to him. Let me ask you, when you do your spiritual disciplines, are you doing it out of drudgery because you know if you don't, God will be mad with, at you? Do you do it to hopefully impress God so he will love you? Or do we do it out of love? Out of our declaration that we are God's son and daughter. That will change everything for you and me if we function out of that. Because we'll function either out of insecurity or security with God. And it changes how we see him and how we see the world if we do it God's way. 
So if you're fasting in here to earn his approval, stop it. You don't have to do that. He is already approved of you because of Christ. The second reason why we got to just stop fasting for certain reasons is if we're doing it to impress other people. And when Jesus is teaching about fasting, he says this at the beginning. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled. So people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will get. Now this word hypocrite in the, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament's been translated from, this word literally means stage actor. Which means someone who is on stage performing and then they're different off stage. They go back to who they really are. And Jesus sees these hypocrites, these Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day, and everybody is impressed with them. You and I, we would go by them and hear them utter prayers and hear them, see them fasting, and we would be like, oh my goodness, I want to be just like them. And yet Jesus is sitting back, and he's just smiling. He's saying, these guys, they just don't get it. They're a bunch of actors. All they're doing it is for people to look at them and say, oh, wow, you did great. You are so spiritual. You know how actors, they have to put on makeup or costumes or whatever it is to get ready for the show? Well, look at they also get ready for the show. Look, they try to look miserable and disheveled. So I don't know if they're fasting or not, but they make it look like they are. So when they go and perform, they look exhausted. They look like they've been fasting for such a long time. You know, if you even go without a meal for a few hours, at least I am, I am just exhausted. Well, these guys, they are looking like they haven't eaten in 40 days. And they're just walking around and like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm fasting. Really tired, I'm fasting. You know how some people want to bring up things in conversations just to make them look good and you didn't even ask them about that? Like if someone was having a conversation with a Pharisee, like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, not good, I'm fasting. Oh, all right, wow, okay. That's exactly what they were doing to impress other people. And what I love about Jesus and saying, you know what, that will work. They will impress people. And they're gonna get a reward for that. And the reward is people will look at them and look how spiritual they are and clap for them. But what Jesus is saying here is like, that's not the reward you want. You see, here's the deal. Some of us do things spiritually. We look real spiritual. We pray, we fast, we read the Bible, we come to church. We act really Christian so people look at us like we're really Christian. But when we take the mask off and people see us for who we are, not a lot of people looking like Jesus when we live that way. And Jesus is like, listen, you can do that and people may be impressed with you, but you know who's not impressed with you? God. The reward you get for acting spiritual is great, but you know who's really disappointed? Who really doesn't care what you're doing? Who sees through your act? It's Jesus. He sees through that. And if we are here trying to impress other people by how spiritual we are, let me tell you, you are doing damage to your relationship with God. You and God are not as tight as you think you are. Because the reward you get from people cut you off from the reward that God has for you when you and I do it the right way. Think about your spiritual life for a moment. Do people know you're spiritual because 
You just tell everybody about it and you live it out. What if when people aren't there, are you the same person? If you're really kind to people's faces and people see you like that and they applaud, are you a jerk behind people's backs when the masks come off? If so, Jesus has a word for us. Hypocrite. But if we're doing it for the right way, whatever that thing is, especially when it comes to fasting, then we bypass the reward that we get from people and we get the ultimate reward. And this is why we fast. We don't fast to impress God. We don't fast to impress other people because those things don't matter. Why We fast because of what Jesus says at the end of his teaching here. He says, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your father who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. Do you know what the reward he's talking about here? When we realize fasting isn't a public act, but a private discipline. When we recognize that we're doing it for the right reasons, do you know what the reward we're getting? The reward's God. We get God. We get to hear God's voice. We get to embrace God to know that he's all that we need. We get tight, intimate fellowship with our Savior. There is no better reward out there than getting God at its most intimate level. And when we fast this way, so it's between us and God, and we get God, that changes everything. And there's some of us who are fasting for the wrong reasons, and we get frustrated. It's because we're not doing it to get God. I want to clarify something. I had this question afterwards. It's a great question. I want to clarify it for you this morning. There are times where people will know you're fasting, and that's okay. It's all about motive. So my mentor, he came and spoke on prayer to our staff on Mondays, on Monday, and he fasts on Mondays. And we were smoking meat that day for lunch, and usually he does not eat lunch. Well, guess what? Smoked meat or giving up a fast, he ate food that day. And you know what's awesome? God still loved him because he wasn't doing it for ritual. He wasn't doing it to impress people. He saw an opportunity to eat lunch with other people and he took it because he wasn't fasting to impress people. He wasn't fasting to, to earn God's approval. He was just fasting because he loves the Lord. And for that moment, he stopped because he also wanted to love people. And so if someone recognizes that you're fasting, that's okay, but it's all about motives. Like if you call someone up for lunch and you're like, hey, you want to go to lunch? And the person goes, sure, where are we going? And you say, I'm sorry, I can't. I have to fast today. That's wrong. But if someone calls you and says, hey, you want to go to lunch today? And you're just like, I can't. You know, um, and they say, oh, why? And you say, well, I'm just fasting today. That's different. It's all about motives. Wrong motives don't get God. The right motives get God. In its fullest, most beautiful measure. Let me tell you two things that happen out of Jesus' life 
when we get God. First of all, I'm going to give you the bottom line here, what fasting is. Fasting is giving up a need to embrace my greatest need. Fasting is temporarily giving up something. So if you're holding whatever it is, food or media, and we'll get to some other examples in a while, you temporarily give that up so your hands are open so you can receive our greatest need, which is God. Fasting is temporary so we can understand the eternalness of Jesus. And there's two things out of many things, but two things I see out of Jesus' own life here that happens when we fast, when we get God, our greatest need. And the first is this. It keeps us dependent on God so we can clearly hear his voice. I already read you the temptation of Jesus. I want you to go back to that scene. Imagine you're there, all right? Imagine you're about to witness Jesus going into this huge 40-round fight with, with Satan himself. You see it? And if that's not enough, they go into a desert, which is hot. A desert where it's uncomfortable. And so here's Jesus about to endure the fight of his life in this hot desert. You would think he would want to go to the gas station and at least grab some beef jerky or some snacks, right? Or grab a coffee. Or something. I mean, how is he going to go through this fast fighting Satan himself in a desert, where is his nourishment coming from? Unless that's the point. Maybe the point that Jesus is getting at, which I think he is, is that he is already nourished. He doesn't need food. He needs something so much more than that to get through what he's about to go through. That's why Jesus says to Satan, after he asks him to turn the stones into bread, Jesus is like, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fasting is giving up a need that all of us need. We need food. But it's giving this up temporarily, understanding that there's a soul hunger deep within us that will not be satisfied until we taste God's word. You know why we fast? Because we are always satisfying our temporary needs. Always. When's the last time we put ourselves in a position to truly understand our soul hunger? Our culture thrives on busyness so we don't have to really take an inventory of what's going on deep within our souls. We like to be busy. We like to be with people. We like to always be doing something because when we're just by ourselves and we're not filling ourselves with those needs, we understand there's something underneath of us that's such a longing that's never satisfied. Jesus says when you fast from something, you see that need and you run to God because he has all we need. It keeps us dependent on him for the most important things in our lives. Jesus says, yeah, we need food, but we need, need, desperately need God's word. Do you desperately need God's word? I am sometimes more worried about what I'm going to be eating for lunch than I am getting up early to spend time with God because I need him so much. Do you live in such a way that you are 
desperate to fulfill your soul's hunger with God's word or you just keep yourself busy so you don't have to go there. We cannot live by just food alone or needs alone. We have to live, truly live, by being nourished by God's word. Do we need it? Are we desperate for it? Now, as I was studying this week, God showed me something that I've never seen before, and it goes hand in hand with being dependent on him. It's so that we can clearly hear his voice. Now, watch what happens here. Matthew 4, verse 5, 6 says, The devil took him to the holy city and said, For the scriptures say. Right after that, Jesus responded, The scriptures also say. The devil, who sometimes, scripture tells us, masks himself as, a, as an agent of light, comes to Jesus with scripture. And Jesus Because he was fasting, because he can clearly see God and he was so dependent on his word, can see that the enemy himself took scripture out of context to try to apply to Jesus' life to get him to do something that was outside of God's will. And Jesus was so clear. His mind was so clear. He was so desperate for God's word. He could say, you know what? I know this is God's word, but it's not applied the way that God meant it. Here's what he really meant. There are three voices simultaneously speaking to you at all times, whether you recognize it or not. The enemy, yourself, and God. How do you know which one is God, especially if the enemy comes to you with truth? The only way, Jesus says, is if we fast. When we're fasting, we are ultra ultra clear to hear God's voice. There are some of us in this room that are desperate to hear God's voice, but we never practice the discipline of fasting, and we wonder why we can't hear God's voice. Sometimes we mistake God's voice for Satan, and we go down the wrong path. You and I, to really understand what God's saying, in our situation right now, fasting will turbocharge hearing God's voice so we can recognize it and apply it to our lives the way God wants us to. We fast to depend on God so we can hear his voice clearly above all else. And then finally, another one of the many, many things we could see out of Jesus' life, but the one that I love here is that he helps us fight and overcome daily temptation. That's what fasting does. Here's the thing that blows my mind about Jesus. Jesus is hungry, so hungry. Again, imagine going without food one day. Okay, two days, ooh, pushing it. 40 days? And Jesus is face to face with Satan, and Satan is going at him with, with temptations that are, that are prominent, temptations that are enticing. Food, possessions, power. And every time that Satan knocks him down with the temptation, Jesus gets back up. And you know what he says? For the scriptures say. And then he gets knocked down again. He gets back up and he says, for the scriptures say. One more time in Jesus' complete hunger, complete desperation. He's depleted of all things. He has no nourishment besides God's word. He gets knocked down one more time with, I think, the greatest temptation, power over all people. And he says that scriptures say. And at that moment, we see right here that the devil goes away and angels had to come and take care of Jesus. 
I can fight temptation by willpower at least once. But when it comes to the second and third times of fighting temptation, how often I find myself on the ground and I can't get back up. Because willpower is like my cell phone's battery. I have a really bad phone. I will take it off the charger. I won't even do much with it and I'm at 20% within an hour. And that's what willpower does. It's True that when you exercise willpower, it depletes itself over time. Where then you have to say no again. You can't because you have no willpower left. And that is why many of us, when we're tempted in this room by those things that tempt us, those things that are seductive, those things that we know will make our lives better in the moment, we say yes. And the more you and I say yes, the harder it will be to say no. There are some of us in this room who said yes to temptation one time and you've made it a part of your life. You don't even know how it's affecting your life because it's been part of who you are. Because we said yes. We had nothing to fight back with. And so we caved to temptation. And now we will just continue to say yes. And it becomes a part of who we are. Scripture is like our power cord. How corny that sounds. I am desperate for my, my phone power cord, trust me. Right when I plug it in, I can use it and don't have to worry about the depletion of my battery. So too it is with scripture. When you fight back with scripture, it's your power cord to overcome temptation. Here's the interesting thing. After a while, when Jesus kept saying to the devil, scripture, 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 it says the devil went away. The devil is looking for someone who doesn't know God's word so he can bring him down and keep him down. If Satan is after you all the time and he's winning, you are an easy target. But if you go back at Jesus with with fasting and with scripture and you punch back with that, he wants to go away because you're not an easy target. When you're tempted, what do you fight back with? That very thing will be the answer to if you overcome it or not. Fasting helps us to hear God's voice. And fasting helps us to punch back when we need to fight against temptation. So that's why we fast. Let me just tell you how we do that. First of all, how we develop the habit of fasting is we pick a day to fast on. Again, We don't do this to impress God. We don't do this to impress people. This is between us and God. And so what I often do when I fast is I look at the day that I'm going to really need God to really, really speak. Like I'm trying to listen to God all week, but I need to know that day that I am giving up this need so I grasp my greatest need. And so for me, that day is Monday. And the reason it's Monday is because I can start praying for my kids when they go back to school, praying that my wife has a really good week, that she senses God and what he's doing in her life. I usually come into the office, I start preparing for a sermon, so I'm starting to prepare, pray for that, pray for you, pray for our staff, pray for myself. I need to see God clearly when I do that. And so oftentimes I will fast on Mondays, and I'll tell you what I fast from in a little bit. For you, it may be Sunday because that's your last day of the weekend, you're going into the work week and school week, and you want to make sure your work and your school has been given to God, and so you're fasting on Sunday. Some of us need to fast on Friday because we know the temptation that's coming that night into the weekend. 
And we'll say no in the beginning because we're living by willpower, but by Friday night we do the things we don't want to do. Maybe you need to fast on Friday. But whatever it is, what is that day? And you don't have to fast for the whole day. Maybe it's a meal if you're fasting from food or half a day. But what is that thing that you're fasting from? Or the day, and then you've got to select, excuse me, what you're going to fast from. Pick a day or a time and then pick a need. Now I'm going to end our time with giving you two needs that I see, one in Scripture and one in our culture that we should fast from. Scripture always connects fasting to food, so we'll talk about that. And then we need to fast, let's be honest, from media. And I'm going to explain why and how we can do that. But I read a quote this week that changed fasting for me forever. Remember, fasting is giving up a need to embrace, embrace our greatest need. And some of us have needs within ourselves that we don't even know that we need to give up for a little while to go back to God. Here's what Jim Irwin says about this. While fasting from food is a good thing, however, we also are challenged to fast from sin or gossip or jealousy or anger and from those other things which, while well within our control, we think we are often allowed to control us. When is the last time when we talk about fasting, you've ever thought about fasting from gossip or jealousy or anger or that sin that entangles us? Wouldn't that be incredible to give that up in order to cling on to Christ? So let me give you an example. This is from my life. I'm going on vacation beginning today for the next few days. You better believe I better do this next thing or it's not going to be good for my kids. I have this need to be in control. Not just in my life, but especially with my kids. And that control is, I like peace and quiet. Somehow I explain to myself, I want peace and quiet, and, yes, I, and yet I have a house full of seven, five, three, and one-year-olds. How does that work? Well, it doesn't. And I want to be in control of, of going on vacation with my kids, and so I have to now get into a point where literally I'm fasting from this now. I'm going to fast from anger, because anger is the secondary emotion. The, the need for me is to be in control. It manifests itself through anger. If some of you get angry a lot, it's because you want to be in control of the situation. That's why you take things out on people. My greatest need is to know that God is in control. So I need to fast from anger, which really is that need to control things. For some of us, we have this need for self-worth, of course, a healthy sense of self-worth. Well, we need to start fasting from jealousy or gossip. We gossip because we don't feel good about ourselves and we want to take it out on other people and drag them through the mud so we lift ourselves up. How awful that we do that. But it's part of who we are, our jealousy. You see, your need is self-worth, but your greatest need is to see your worth in Christ. Maybe some of us need to fast from jealousy or gossip. Well, I want to give you these last two to end with. One is, oh yeah, that looks good, doesn't it? That burger, whoo. Fasting from food. Some of it's going to be for a day. Some of it's going to be for a meal. But when you feel those hunger pains, it leads you to understand there's a greater hunger in you that you need, that only God's word will satisfy. The reason I don't fast from food is because I have an unhealthy relationship with food. If I fast from food, I think of it more about losing weight than I do about connecting with God. So I can't fast from food. It just won't work. For some of us, it'll work for you, and you need to give up something like that to drive you to God. The other one is media. I looked at my phone the other day. If you have uh, an Apple phone and you can look at your screen time, I picked up my phone 200 times in one day. Don't judge me until you look at yours, by the way. 
I thought, wow, 200 times I could have gone back to Jesus. 200 times I would have picked up my phone, I'd go to my Lord and Savior to see that he is all I need. Because we give up a need, just temporarily. So in that moment, we recognize our greatest need is Christ. Let's pray. So Father, we just ask that you would develop that in us, help us to fast. So we, on a regular basis, give up a need so we can depend on you. We give up a need to hear your voice. We give up a need so we can fight back in temptation. Help us to recognize the uncomfortableness of giving up a need will lead to your comfort in us as we grasp our greatest need. Help us to do that in your name. Amen. Have a great Sunday.